shooting personal work is absolutely crucial in your career as a photographer. I've always had some sort of personal project that I've been working on. This is certainly the largest one, but personal work, I believe, fuels your passion and your love of photography. It keeps you going, it keeps you interested, and it also kind of keeps clients interested, even if it's not as literal to the work you do on a daily basis. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Howard and welcome to the Musea Podcast. Hi, I'm Randall Ford and I am a advertising and editorial photographer specializing in conceptual portraiture with a slant on animal portraiture. I first got into photography in high school actually when I was a junior in high school. I took a, you know, a typical black and white photography class and a lot of people loved the darkroom and they loved that process, but I personally did not like the darkroom. I got really frustrated in the darkroom actually mm -hmm. because I didn't have the patience to sit there and fiddle with all of the chemicals and the exposures and detail and whatnot to really fine tune a print. So what I ended up doing was I ended up scanning negatives and bringing those into Photoshop. And this is like Photoshop 3.0, you know, and I was, you know, really just experimenting with digital photography. So I was scanning these negatives and bringing them into to Photoshop. And so in a sense, you know, I'm kind of part of a generation of photographers that grew up on digital. And I learned to shoot film, including four by five film, but I, I've always been interested in technology. And so you know, getting into digital photography really came pretty naturally to me. So I did that for a couple of years in high school. And then fast forward, I went to college uh, at Texas A&M University. And I, I actually got a business degree at A&M, but I, I shot for the school newspaper along the way, along with some other student publications. And I also did a summer study abroad trip in Italy where I really fell in love with photography which, you know, in Italy, you could kind of point a camera anywhere and <laughs> and take a good picture. Right. But it was really kind of the development of a, of a really a passion and an interest in photography. And I, I just kind of became obsessed with it. And I just shot and shot and shot and shot. But during all that, it was really helpful that I actually got a business degree from A&M because that helped me just have kind of the right mindset to blend art and commerce, you know, to ensure that you're not a starving artist, you know, right. because if you can't blend both, then you are going to be a starving artist. <laughs> it was important for me to keep in mind the business aspects of photography. Mm -hmm. So I graduated from A&M and I really, I didn't really consider being a photographer until the end of school. And I remember distinctly one evening when I was like, gosh, I, maybe I could make this work. Maybe I could, could really follow my passion and follow a career and do something that I love you know, and turn it into a career. And so kind of from that moment on, I, I relentlessly pursued advertising and editorial photography. I moved to Dallas for about six months and I assisted a few photographers. And then I was lucky enough to get a full-time gig with a photographer that was moving down to Austin, Texas, which is where I'm based now. So I got a full-time gig with Jack Collingsworth, who was one of the, he's a stock lifestyle photographer. And so he brought me down to Austin and I ended up 
being his first assistant, but also second shooting for him, which was just awesome experience mm-hmm. uh, as a young photographer to to go beyond just assisting a photographer, but to actually second shoot. And because it was stock photography, it was really valuable to continue to shoot for him. So he had this certain volume of work that he could, you know, continue to put into these stock photography sites. And shortly after that, that actually didn't last long. I worked for Jack for about six months, and then I ended up kind of branching out to do my own thing as a photographer. And that was, I guess, really the start of my career about a year and a half after school. And from there, I really sought out mentors. I sought out advertising agencies to show my book to and get feedback and really try to shoot as consistently as possible and think about what can I do to develop a a style and a brand and a aesthetic. And then from there, I kind of slowly started to pick up clients here and there. And I was pretty diligent and consistent with my marketing efforts, whether it was a portfolio show or, you know, direct mail or postcards or whatnot. So I was pretty diligent and consistent about just pushing ahead to make the most of my career. Nice. And so how long have you been... I guess you would say full-time shooting now. Yeah. So that was, so when I kind of branched out on my own, that was, um, end of 2005, early 2006. Okay. So over 10 years at this point. And as you know, being in this business, it's constantly changing. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to constantly be evolving and constantly be creating new work and trying to keep your audience engaged and also yourself passionate about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. That's uh, pre-Instagram days, <laughs> MySpace <laughs> is, and ever, all that. It was definitely pre-Instagram days. Yeah. I mean, I remember the first thing, I guess, pre-Instagram was Facebook. And I was doing, I had a Facebook page pretty early on. And I remember posting stuff on Facebook, you know, and it would get all of these, all this engagement and likes and comments and whatnot to my business page. Mm. And <laughs> we look at that now and it's like, you don't get likes or engagement on a business page unless you pay for it on Facebook. Yeah, exactly. So the organic reach is like gone. Is gone. Yeah. Although I still engage with a personal audience on Facebook and you know Instagram as well. Yeah, I mean the the technology has changed. I mean, just even within the last ten, you know, twelve years, thirteen years, whatever. I think like being able to adapt constantly is just a necessary skill. I mean, it's always been there, but it's just sped up so much now than it was thirty years ago. Yeah, exactly. It really is. I mean it's gone far beyond the film to digital transition. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that was the thing in, you know, the early two thousands is a lot of the guys were still hanging on to shooting film. And I was like, I had no desire to shoot film. In fact, I went and interviewed at art center school of design in Pasadena. And I spoke with some people uh, at Brooks Institute of photography and at Art Center, they basically told me, they're like, yeah, if you come here, you won't shoot digital for at least two years. You'll be shooting film for two years. And then after that, we might let you shoot digital. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. like you tell me I'm going to pay money and you know learn a, a craft and a technology that is that I'm not going to be using. So I kind of felt lucky that I didn't do that. And I ended up really just assisting and shooting because I've, I feel like no matter what you're doing, the best way to learn is by experience. Mm-hmm. But I do want to clarify something I just said, because I, while I've never shot film professionally, 
I probably shoot more like a traditional film shooter than most photographers. In fact, up until a couple of years ago, I actually still used a light meter. And I, I actually occasionally do use a light meter just because I like to get my lighting ratios and everything dialed in when I'm bringing it into camera. Mm. And I still, I almost always shoot tethered, you know, because I'm so finicky about lighting and making sure all the technical aspects are there. So in a sense, I, you know, learning to shoot four by five film, you know, when I got out of college was really beneficial because it kind of helped me slow down and think about the kind of technical methodical process of photography. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not dogging film completely. You're right. <laughs> I, in fact, I, I think part of me would actually enjoy going back to shoot film just as an exercise mm-hmm. in composition and exposure and relinquishing control. Yep. Can't see it. So <laughs> exactly. I gotta hope you got, hope you got it. <laughs> no, I, well, yeah, I would definitely not do it for a job. I can tell you that. Yeah. 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 Personal work though or something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, that's great. So you've got this amazing book you sent me called The Animal Kingdom. It's coming out soon and it really blew me away. It's uh, extremely impressive. So I just want to say kudos to you. I know you. this you probably put tons and hundreds and I don't know, thousands of hours into this and it shows. Thank you. And I've seen some animal books before, but I feel like this one, you have a different take. I feel like this is a unique angle uh, and we'll get into, I think, why I think that is. But I really want to start out and just talking about like why this book, like why animals? Sure. So it's funny, you know, early in my career, I was doing a lot of clean, simple portraits on bright colored seamless. And it was with real poppy lighting and it had this real crunchy, hyper real aesthetic. And a designer from Pentagram, DJ Stout, came to me, this is like eight years ago, and he said, hey, do you think you could shoot portraits of dairy cows like you're shooting portraits of people? And I had, not, I had never photographed an animal before. I hadn't photographed a dog or a cat, much less a freaking dairy cow. <laughs> and so, but I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's try it. So we went and we photographed 10 dairy cows in a barn in the middle of Texas on a cold, rainy November day. And we photographed them on these bright, punchy backgrounds with you know bright, punchy lighting to go along with it. And that was a, a series of maybe 10 images. And that was sort of the, the true inception of this project, although I didn't know it at the time. Mm-hmm. After we did that project, I sent the work out to advertising agencies across the country. And it was I was surprised at how well it was received. And, you know, looking back, you know, it makes sense because cows are typically not subjects of glamorous portraits. Right. And so it it was really a unique idea to create these portraits of dairy cows. And so from there, so that was like eight years ago. And then I slowly picked up some, you know, traditional advertising animal, you know, dog and cat brand type photography and did that for a little while. And then eventually I had always wanted to photograph some like predators in studio, like a lion and a tiger and a bear specifically. And I just, I kept thinking the right job was going to come along and I would be able to do all this, but it just wasn't happening. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it myself. And after a long shoot in LA of photographing some dogs and cats, I ended up bringing in a lion, tiger, and bear to the studio, which was an unbelievable experience. You know, I had, I had photographed some cows, I had photographed some horses, 
you know, and a bunch of dogs and cats, but I really hadn't done much else. And so bringing those animals into the studio was just an unbelievable experience. I photographed those three animals, specifically the Bengal tiger being three feet from a Bengal tiger off leash <laughs> in a studio with strobes. Yeah. The magnificence and the power and the grace of that animal is so tangible at that distance that it was just a really unbelievable experience. And then from there, I that was sort of the start of this from, I guess, a more aesthetic perspective with kind of clean, you know, unidirectional lighting that you know, I tried to give it a sort of timeless feel. Mm -hmm. And from there I went and I started kind of shooting more and more animals. And a couple of years later, I was like, you know what? I want to really bring this collection to life. I had a couple ad jobs where we shot some more exotic animals. And then for about a year, I kind of relentlessly shot 50 to 75 animals and then more trickled on after that. Mm. So after I had like a good collection of maybe 75 portraits, I really started thinking about putting this collection into a book. And so the way that that process went was I approached Pentagram Design in Austin, which hired me to photograph the cows years before. And they designed a prototype of the book. And then I shopped that prototype around to publishers, trying to get some feedback and some publishers to bite on it. And I eventually was able to get Rizzoli New York to bite on it. Yeah. The uh, cow in the back, it's like right at the end, right there where there's acknowledgements to the very end of the book. Is that one of the early ones? Yes. So that was one of the early ones. Exactly. Okay. So that was, that was one of those cows that I was describing that DJ Stout of Pentagram Design hired me to shoot. Okay. So it was aesthetically is a little different and had the bright color background. Right. I sort of flattened some of the curves so it wasn't as punchy. So it would match a little bit better with some of the other work. Mm -hmm. But it's funny that it was the start of this project was cow portraits. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I was going back through the book to this morning, you know, just kind of prepping for this. And I came across that there at the end. And it, since it's a blue background, I immediately was like, I wonder if that's an early one. Yeah. You know, because it, it's obviously like over here kind of by itself. Right. But in terms of the flow of the book, it makes sense. So it's felt like, oh, that's maybe a Genesis picture, you know, for you. Yeah, absolutely. So what about the, I guess the cows, maybe the early shoots with the bear and tiger and the lion and everything. What about those early shoots that you connected with the animals that just kept you going and inspired you to keep looking for more and more animals and that snowballed essentially? Yeah, it definitely snowballed. And then, so what happened was I sort of started, I started asking around to try to find certain animals and I kind of started building a master list of animals that I'd like to create a portrait of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I basically had a lot of exotics, of course, that I wanted to photograph, but I also had a lot of just rural animals that I wanted to photograph. So for example, I found this black chicken called an Iyam Samani rooster, and it is black from head to toe. They're originated in Indonesia and they've, they've only been in the U.S. for a couple of years now. When I Googled it, I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to photograph that thing. It's just unbelievable. So I found somebody actually in East Texas that had these chickens and I called them up and told them what I was doing. Said I was working on a book project and would love to come photograph their chickens. And they were totally open to it. And I went out there and those black chickens were some of my favorite in the series just because they're so, so unique. But the black color is also so visually simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the um, black on black and the white on white within the book is like visually arresting. Like it's very beautiful. So thank you. The black on black started with the black, 
the black cow, the black bull, mm-hmm. I guess, not surprisingly, since it seems like everything in this book started with a cow. <laughs> right. Um, so the black bull was the first of that series. And it was after I shot that, I was like, gosh, it sure would be cool to shoot a whole series of black animals on black and just let them kind of fall into the background, but create enough tone where you see detail. So from a technical perspective, it was pretty challenging, but I also think from an aesthetic perspective, it was also very rewarding Mm -hmm. and also very simple. And I I think in this phase in my career, I'm sort of seeking simplicity. You know, in my earlier career, I did sort of the complicated thing and the complicated shoots. And now I'm sort of gravitating towards simplicity done really well. I think that's when photography is the most impactful. Yeah. And I think it's hardest. I think yeah, it's, it's hardest to do it well, and it's, but it's also hardest to do it unique. It's harder mm-hmm. to stand out from the crowd. And when I started at, when I started photography, the way that I stood out from the crowd was doing complicated work with a kind of hyper real illustrative aesthetic before that kind of became such a trend. And that was really effective at kind of helping me step out from the crowd and, and stand out. But at the same time, I was also forced to evolve as my career evolved as well. Mm-hmm. What are some of the logistics of this? Just, you know, thinking, uh, looking through it, I'm like, mm-hmm. how did you get access? Like, I just call up the Bengal Tiger uh, <laughs> right. Walmart or whatever and get one over here. Like, how do you, well, where'd you find these? So there's, there's kind of two aspects of it. There's the exotics and typically those can be found in LA and, you know, because they're out there for, commercials uh, or movies. Mm. And then the other ones, whether it's cows or a sloth or chickens or goats or even a cheetah, I was able to find either through personal owners or rescue facilities or a few zoos let me work with them. So it was kind of a combination of like a bunch of different places where these animals came from. But once I had a collection started, I could present the work to, for example, a zoo or to this rescue facility in Fresno that we photograph the cheetah at, I could present the work to them and say, this is what I've done so far. This is what I'm going to do. We're going to put this all in a book eventually. And it, so it sort of helped give me some credibility when reaching out to these animal folks. Yeah. But the other interesting thing was, you know, a lot of the non-exotic animals like the chickens, cows, and horses I found in, in Texas. And that was kind of through the help of I had a couple of producers that were helping me and I had some assistance as well. And it was really kind of networking and kind of branching out and trying to connect with the right people. And then what would happen is those people would connect me with other animal folks. So, you know, the owner of the chickens knew somebody with the right horses and the, somebody with the right horses knew somebody with the right cows and somebody with the right cow actually knew a sloth and somebody with a sloth knew a buffalo. And <laughs> it was like yeah. literally this web was being woven of all these like animal lovers, animal owners, trainers, et cetera, you know, that is what kind of snowballed and allowed me to kind of gain access to so many different animals. Mm -hmm. There were some animals that I I just wanted to photograph and I had to kind of pay my own way to photograph them. Like I really wanted a black swan on black and I, I had to do that in LA, but I found somebody that had a skunk that had rescued the skunk as a baby and nursed the skunk back to life. And the skunk ended up being a pet and they removed the skunk's scent glands. And I didn't know a skunk could actually be that cute. <laughs> yeah. I've heard they're really great pets actually. Yeah. It was like, you had a like great demeanor and was like 
seemed pretty cool actually. <laughs> um, but that same owner had a squirrel too. Okay. So it was like, she was like, you want me to bring my squirrel? And I was like, you have a squirrel? <laughs> like, yeah, definitely bring the squirrel. Wow. But the squirrel was fun, but the, the trick with the squirrel, they didn't have any food for the squirrel to get the squirrel to like kind of stay put. And so I asked them, I was like, do you think the squirrel would eat some of my pistachios? And uh, they were like, uh, yeah, they're nuts, right? <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah. And so we gave this squirrel some pistachios and he just pounded them. They were unsalted, of course. But... Right, right. <laughs> so it was, it was quite an experience just meeting all these different people and you know, trying to connect and network with all these people. I think that's one of the amazing things when I fell in love with photography a long time ago and a lot of photographers I talked to is just how it kind of opens doors to different subcultures, I guess, in a way where you get into these really interesting social networks that you may never run into right. just as you go through your routine daily life. You, know, you kind of bump into some really cool, interesting <laughs> totally. web of <laughs> people that are all into like a similar thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what happened here. It's, yeah. it's super interesting. That's cool. So the proceeds from the book go to this project, Survival's Cat Haven. What mm -hmm. is that? So Cat Haven is this big cat habitat in Fresno, California, or just outside of Fresno, California. I guess it's Dunlap, but it's the closest city I think is Fresno. So I went up there to photograph a cheetah that they had, or they have a, they have a few that that's one of the cats that I guess they specialize in sort of conservation and awareness. And I photographed these two cheetahs up there and that was just a great experience. And the facility up there is just unbelievable. They have some of the biggest enclosures I've ever seen for captive animals, specifically big cats. They have actually these like hundred year old trees that are inside these enclosures that these leopards can like crawl on and just kind of lay on top of. Hmm. So it really is a place that they can kind of get these animals at least closer back to their native habitat. So they have their operation in Fresno, but they also are very involved with different conservation programs with big cats in Africa. So on their website, they've got a bunch of different programs to help with cheetah conservation and other big cat conservation nonprofits in Africa. So it was really a neat project to support with the book, mm -hmm. not only because I photographed some of their cheetahs, but also because their conservation efforts, you know, span across the globe. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, kudos for you for doing that too. I think that's great. All right, we're going to take a quick break from the podcast and I'm just going to let you know what we do here at Musea. We do fine art printing, matting, framing, and we just introduced Canvas this summer. So if you haven't checked us out, check us out at musealab.com. We would love to print matte framework for you and we would love for you to see our Canvas product that we just released a couple months ago. You can learn more about that at musealab.com slash canvas. All right, back to the podcast. The book, I was thinking about it just like, I really feel like this is, in terms of just like people wanting to purchase it, I feel like it is a great purchase just because I think every age can appreciate that. Like some photo books are, you know, pretty extreme right. in terms of like what they're covering of like, hey, we're going to do a project on like this drug thing over and wherever. Right. And so like books like that are like pretty intense, but they're not really for everybody. Yeah. Or a book like this, like it's extremely well done, but I feel like almost every age, like I was just like, 
my kids would love a book like this. Yeah. But then as an adult, it's still just the craft and the art that went into it is so well done. It's like, as a photographer, I'm even still inspired by it. Like I get something out of it. So I think you did a really great job. Yeah. I mean, I really wanted to appeal to a broad audience because animals are intertwined in our history as a civilization, mm -hmm. whether it's cows or mountain lions, they've always been part of civilization. And like I said, in the front of the book, and we've, we've also been depicting animal artwork, like since we began to create artwork. So I felt like it was something that everyone could connect on. Mm -hmm. But then taking that a step further is kind of where the aspect of portraiture is important to me. Yeah. And portraiture is kind of my first passion in photography. So it was also fitting to take traditional people portraiture and push it into the world of animals with the intention for those animal portraits to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I tried to make unique about these pieces. I, I tried to make them a portrait that would connect with a person and not as much of a still life. Some animal photographs are more of an observation in the wild or a still life in the studio, but I, I really tried to make it a likeness. And obviously some are stronger than others in that regard, but I tried to build this kind of or portray this likeness of each animal that would connect with the audience. Yeah. I was going through the Dan Winters, the foreword in the book, which is fantastic. And he has a kind of the beginning in there. He talks about as him as a portrait artist, like identifying nuance and humans and kind of coaxing out expressions or whatever it is for people. But you're being able to do that or look for that or uh, I was trying to figure out a way to ask you, like, how did you as a photographer connect with the animals to kind of show some of the personality that you see in these? Because they're quite humorous in some, right? but the animals all seem like unique, like they have their own look or gaze or personality that they show you. I mean, it was definitely something that was intentional throughout the whole project to try to like create this sort of personification mm -hmm. of the animal, but it wasn't necessarily, you know, I didn't necessarily try to coax some sort of expression out of the animal. Yeah. A lot of it was me being ready to go and on point, like and focused mm -hmm. and shooting a lot so that when I got that one glimpse where I felt like it was like kind of the perfect look, I was ready to take that picture. I mean, some of the animals I went into the shoot with a pretty specific idea of what I wanted it to become or what I wanted that portrait to be. But then others, I was surprised on set as to like kind of how it turned out. Mm. Like one of my favorite surprises in the project was I was photographing this longhorn and I sort of was observing him as we were getting our lights set up and as we were starting. And I looked over kind of on the side of him and I saw that his horns actually covered up his eyes from one angle, from kind of this profile. And I was like, oh, that would be such a cool shot to get this profile where you see his horns, like actually like just covering up his eyes. And so that was one of my favorite pieces in the book is this longhorn profile where his horns are just kind of covering his eyes up. Mm -hmm. It's always a balance between looking at like the physical attributes of your subject right, and turning that into some sort of photo, like whatever physical uniqueness they have. Right, and totally. Trying to capture that. But then also there's sometimes it's like either emotion or the look or like you know, the energy they bring, that's the unique thing and trying to get that yeah. as well. Yeah. It's definitely a collaboration. Yeah. You know, obviously direct human subjects much more, right. but <laughs> this was a, such a great exercise in relinquishing control of my portrait subject mm. and allowing an expression to just happen naturally or the portrait to happen naturally. So I think kind of using some of this with what I've, you know, experienced with the animals and applying that to my human portraiture 
is going to be an interesting you know, process as a director, I guess. Yeah. You know, there's a certain amount to direct, but then like let it go at a certain point as well so that, you know, maybe you're surprised with a certain expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's always a juggling act for sure. Yeah, exactly. Talk about, I guess, the importance of just a white or neutral background. We hinted about that a little bit earlier about simplifying and stripping things down. Mm-hmm. But I think when you look at, you know, great portrait artists through history, whether it's Avedon or Penn or whoever, it's famous to have a lot of just solid backgrounds, but just the challenges that brings because you can't really hide any flaws or mask anything that way. Like everything is there, right? But you're also not, you know you're not distracted by anything in the background either. So I guess just talk about how that important that was for you versus shooting them like in their natural space. I guess for me, like shooting them on a off white background or a black background, it was sort of about simplifying the visual and kind of deconstructing the portrait so that it's just about the animal. It's not about anything else. It's just about this animal portrait. Mm -hmm. And that was just my general thinking, you know, from an aesthetics perspective, I've always loved Richard Avedon's work. And in fact, I saw his exhibit when I was first getting into photography, I saw in the American West Mm -hmm. and seeing these like five foot prints on display was just so inspirational for me at the time. It's still inspirational just even talking about it. Seeing these portraits at that size where it was just about the person, it was, you know, had this simple white background and it was just about the subject. So that was so pivotal in my development as a photographer that, you know, I feel like it was fitting for me to do it in this project, in this kind of simple, kind of classic studio type photography. Yeah. I guess the other thing was just, which I touched on earlier is, you know, the black on black series sort of naturally kind of fell into place. I wasn't really intending to do that, but then I started photographing some of these black animals and I was just like, oh, these are so much cooler on black. And so I ended up shooting them on black backgrounds instead. Yeah. They're gorgeous. What animal do you think was like the most challenging to deal with? Great question. So ironically, the sloth was one of the most challenging, (laughs) you know, most of my subjects, they can stand on all fours or they can sit, but a sloth, they don't sit, they don't stand on all fours. They like just melt into the ground. Hmm. So I couldn't shoot them on the ground. So I asked the trainer, I was like, or the owner, I was like, do you think we could shoot him upside down? And she was like, yeah, of course he, that's what they do. They hang upside down. He would love it. So we set up this branch in the studio between two C stands and we, we had some foam padding below it. He wasn't even that high off the ground, but he had some, we had some foam padding below it and he immediately started hanging on it, but he also like kept kind of spinning around on this wood and kind of climbing around like almost like a, like a monkey in a very, very slow motion way. So, you know, shooting these in studio, I've got a, you know, my lights are coming from a certain direction. I can't just like go to the other side of him and shoot him. Yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, so I basically had to just kind of be patient and wait till he spun around and was in front of me and then I would shoot it and then we kind of do it all over again. Mm. So he actually moved around a lot more than I was expecting. But some of the others that were challenging, the wolf was challenging just because he was so fast. And it's funny when he... When they brought this wolf in the studio, we actually photographed him in like kind of this little barn area that we set up a mobile studio. When they brought him in there, it it was immediately clear that this is not a dog. This is a wolf. (laughs) Just by the way that he walked and he pranced, Mm. he was so light on his feet and he was so fast and he was so aware of everything that was in there, you know, every scent, every move. 
And it was just tough to get his attention. And it didn't last very long. I actually thought after I shot that, I actually wasn't sure that I even had a shot to work with. Oh, wow. But that ended up being one of my favorite shots in the series. Yeah. About the kind of gray Timberwolf and the yellow orange eyes, I guess. Yeah, totally. That's crazy. And then I was photographing a mountain lion and the mountain lion was actually on this pedestal kind of perched up and the trainers, when you work with big cats, the trainers, they feed them raw meat, basically on a stick, (laughs) obligate carnivores. All they eat is meat. And so they were feeding this mountain lion raw beef and just like a domestic house cat, big cats, they use their paws to grab stuff and to even put stuff in its mouth. And he would sit back on his hind legs and he would grab this chicken off the stick and swipe it and put it in his mouth. But one of the times they were giving him some chicken and he swiped at the chicken and it fell down at my feet. And I was like three feet away from them and he was above me and he jumps down off of this riser, comes down to my feet to get this piece of chicken. There was a trainer there with me and he he knew that I was nervous already. And he said, don't worry, he's not going to hurt you. He just wants the chicken. So he got him his chicken and then he just gently let him up there on top of the uh, his pedestal. But after that, I was like, okay, we're done. I've got it. And <laughs> when he jumped off that riser to come down at my feet, there was just a wave of fear that came over me. Like, what am I doing here? Right. Like, why am I doing this? You know? <laughs> so <laughs> if I do another project this big, I, I don't think it's going to be on big cats. Right. It'll be on cows instead. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine you're like fight or flight syndrome or whatever, you know, kicking in a few times of like, oh, oh I was just fired up. Um, yeah. But on the flip side, you know, big cats are my favorite subject in this book, probably just from an absolute magnificence standpoint. I mean, they're just stunning to me and, and to see them in person. We have a house cat and to see the same mannerisms in a big cat that you would see in a house cat is so fascinating to me just to see in person. Yeah. Did you have any um, like intimate moments with the animals where you actually really got to touch them or not when you were photographing, but like touching and interacting with them? Any cool stories? Yeah, I did get to touch the elephant. I got to put my hand like on his shoulder and I could feel his heartbeat and the rise and the fall of his chest. And so that was just an awesome experience. And I also got to feed the elephant like some oranges and apples and, you know, some food. So that was really neat. And then the giraffe as well. I photographed this giraffe that participates in like educational outreach type of stuff in Texas. And this giraffe like ate carrots out of my hands. That was pretty neat. Mm -hmm. And then another elephant that I actually photographed, I was lucky enough to bring my daughter on that photo shoot. And my kids actually hadn't been on any, many of these shot shoots with me, but my daughter was with me just because the timing worked out well. And at the end of the shoot, the owner of the elephant said, all right, my daughter's Layla. She was like, go ask your daddy if you can do something. I was like, okay, cool. Whatever the trainer says, this guy was great. I, tr- I really trusted him. And <laughs> yeah. He told my daughter to stand right in front of the elephant's trunk. And then the elephant took her trunk and wrapped her up and picked my daughter like six feet off the ground with her trunk. Oh my word. And I, I got a picture of, of course. And yeah, it was just such a beautiful memory to have and to, you know, experience with my daughter. That's amazing. Yeah. She'll have that forever. That's really cool. Totally. I was looking through this book today. I like that you named them plates, like mm-hmm. plate 17, plate 18, I think is really cool. So on that note, the designers, when we were building a prototype, they sort of sought out inspiration from these kind of like old Audubon photographs. Uh And for these photographs, it wouldn't say like 
know, picture number or page number, it would say plate number yeah. 56. Right. And then some of them would actually say like out of the roll of film, it was 14 out of 36 or whatever that roll was. And so that was sort of the inspiration of the information below the portraits. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's because we got like frames and all that. Yes. Yeah, so we have frames, plates, and then there's the name of the animal. Yeah. And then there's the actual, like what the animal is. So yeah. for example, like the spotted leopard, her name was Sheena. Right. And then, so it's Sheena. And then below that, it says, you know, spotted leopard number one or whatever. Yeah. And that was just a further personification and like kind of portrayal of the animals. Yeah. I mean, there's animals in here that I didn't even know existed. Like, <laughs> that's kind of great. Like I mean, like, you know, buffaloes exist, but I didn't know there was like an American white buffalo. Like, I've never seen like an all white buffalo. Yeah. No, I had no idea either. I didn't know that was a thing. And that was kind of like the people that had the skunk. They're like, oh, we have a squirrel too. And so the lady that had the buffalo, she's like, oh, I have a white buffalo too. You want me to bring that? And I was like, uh, yes. <laughs> like you, I had no idea that there was such a thing as a white buffalo. Yeah. Like the white Arabian horse. <laughs> just some of the white animals are just ridiculous. Well, that was also, you know, like just a technical process of photographing these white animals on these white backgrounds and, you know, trying to find the right balance of enough detail, mm -hmm. but also an aesthetic that was beautiful and simple. Yeah. No, you did execute it perfectly. So... I guess one of the questions I have, well, a couple of, a couple other ones here, like after the project, do you feel like there's any sort of like weight or importance to kind of cataloging these animals? Almost if like as we move forward, like through history, you know, as we move forward here, you know, there's a chance that some of this, these animals might come extinct or it might mm -hmm. at least get on like an endangered list, that type of thing. Like I feel like there's an importance of just even just the record of them. Yeah. It's an important thing. That was never my intention necessarily. I mean, it's unintentionally, I think that's happened Yeah, because of the amount of animals that I photographed for this series, but you know, probably only half of them are even close to the endangered list. And there's other photographers that are kind of taking that route mm -hmm. of kind of the more kind of cataloging and I'm only shooting endangered. Yeah. I mean, mine was more so about the portrait aspect of the animals and that's what I try to make different, you know, with these. Oh, definitely. But at the same time, you know, in five years and 10 years, I don't know if we'll be able to photograph animals like this in a studio and certainly in 20, 30 years. So I think from that regard, it should be a, you know, a fairly limited series that's even doable in the future. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was also just a challenge getting half these animals in the studio or right. building a studio around them. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, when someone doesn't know like what I'm trying to do, like a owner of a cow and I'm like, look, I need to photograph them like in an enclosed environment. I can't photograph them out in the pasture. Yeah. We have to have like a barn that's big enough for me to set up a 20 by silk behind them. And I have got three or four lights that I need to set up and all that. So it's just from a logistics and production standpoint, it was very challenging. I know there's a ton of work that goes into like just making any book, you know, like a photo book. And now that you've kind of on the tail end of it, how do you feel like this project has changed you in any way? Good question. I mean, it was an ambitious project from the beginning. And so, you know, there was challenges and a project like this, it takes a while and it lasts a while. And so, you know, there's good and bad to that, right. <laughs> you know. I'm not going to take on a project this big next year. In five years, maybe I will, or maybe I'll slowly start working on something like that. But the other way that it's definitely changed me is I intentionally sought out a timeless aesthetic for this project. And that is what I've 
will do and have been doing going forward in my other photography. You know, my bread and butter photography is advertising, you know, commercial photography. And so I think trying to seek out a sophisticated, but also timeless aesthetic mm-hmm. is kind of something that I have a desire to do as I evolve in my other photography work. Yeah. Fantastic. I think at least me, as I look through them, I really have like a, just kind of a sense of like wonder or there's humor. I feel like there's like a really great appreciation for these animals. There's not a lot of fear or intimidation in the images. Yeah, that's a great point. So, and that was, that was probably, that was really intentional overall is that mm-hmm. I didn't want to create works that were depressing or, you know, created some sort of fear. I wanted to show the magnificence of these animals. I wanted to show the personality, the quirks, the uniqueness, the detail, but I wanted to do that all in a very kind of heroic, uplifting way. You know, that sort of heroicizes these animals and makes them, you know, that kind of puts them on a pedestal. It's, I mean, they're glamorized, they're glamorized portraits of these animals. And mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of glamorize them. And, you know, some of it's, has some humor at play in them. Some of it has more of kind of the, the role of, you know, beauty and magnificence. And that was all kind of dependent on kind of the animal and, and how the shoot turned out. Yeah. I think you accomplished that for sure. Thank you. Talk a little bit about maybe the, just the team to pull something like this off. I think mm-hmm. some people don't realize that some of the logistical issues that come up, but just how important it is to have something that's ambitious and how you need to really build a good team around you to accomplish this vision. Yeah, definitely. So I worked with a couple great producers that helped me on a freelance basis to sort of find some of these animals and schedule all this. For each shoot, I've got a couple assistants that help me set up a big background and my set up my lights. And, you know, I'm always shooting tethered to a computer, whether I'm in a barn or a studio. So just the whole technical aspects of this made them all difficult productions. The fact that I couldn't just go somewhere without a couple assistants certainly was challenging in a lot of ways. Yeah. But you know, if you're prepared for that, then that's fine. That's how I shoot my other work too. So it's not necessarily my shtick to be super nimble and like run and gun. Right. (laughs) So a lot of stuff that I do is really kind of set up and staged and intentional. Yeah. So the book is available October? The book's available October 2nd, I believe. Okay. Um, You can pre-order it on Amazon. Okay. Where else are some good places where they can get it? Most booksellers like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Rizzoli Online will be selling it, I believe. Uh, It should be in stores across the country. And I actually believe they are selling it in other countries as well. Sweet. So I think they're doing a pretty big run and I should have a pretty good outreach. So I'm excited to to get the book out there. And I think it should have a good reception. It's a affordably priced book. And, you know, I tried to create these portraits in a way that they appeal to everyone. Mm-hmm. And so I think in that regard, it, it's one of those things that, you know, can be accessible to everyone. Yeah. Certainly, you know, Christmas time will be here before you know it. <laughs> That's right. October. Exactly. And if you got a photographer, animal lover in your family, this is like a fantastic something to get them that would yeah, be unexpected. You. So thank you. Yeah, definitely unexpected. Yeah. Spinning off the book a little bit, like talk a little bit about just the importance of doing personal work and then how, you know, that informs your paid work, which it sounds like you've done this previously in the past of like you do portfolio personal stuff, right? even if it's just to have new content to market with. Yeah. Shooting personal work is absolutely crucial in your career as a photographer. I've always had some sort of personal project that I've been working on. This is certainly the largest one, but Personal work, I believe, 
fuels your passion and your love of photography. It keeps you going, it keeps you interested, and it also kind of keeps clients interested, even if it's not as literal to the work you do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So this work may not be literal to my advertising photography that I do, but it's a branch or a journey of my photographic career that can be used to draw attention or compliment my other you know, portrait work and portfolio work. Yeah. So the idea of shooting personal work cannot be understated. It's finding the right work, you know, that you can fall in love with is important. So I'm not sure what's next on the list for me, but I'm working on a few kind of ideas. Yeah. Hardest thing about being a commercial photographer in 2018? I think probably just the saturation in the market, just the amount of photographers that are out there. You know, you have to make a strong effort to stand out and build relationships and clients. But I, I've always been a big believer and I still am that cream rises. And I think if you're good at what you do, if you constantly are working it, if you're constantly pushing, then I believe that you can make photography work, that you can become successful in photography. It's not something that should be taken lightly as a business to be getting into. I I mean, you know, I I think some people might see photography and say, you know, I love shooting and blah, blah, blah. But if you're not all in, you're in for trouble is what you're in for. Yep. Yeah. The hustle is constant. (laughs) Yep. Hustle is constant and never ends and you have to love it to do it all the time. Exactly. I mean, I think social media has brought a challenge to photography, but also opportunity to photography. Just it's a double-sided coin. Right. Best thing about being a photographer in 2018. Oh man, not having a boss (laughs) or or at least having a boss that changes. Right. You know, that's the great thing about being a a photographer is, you know, you work for all these different clients and, you know, one month you'll be working for somebody. The next month you may be working for somebody. And in that regard, it's really nice. And then when you have some downtime, you have the freedom and flexibility to work on personal projects or spend time with your family or pursue hobbies and whatnot. So there's definitely some upside. It's better than a real job. I always said. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> importance of video as a still shooter. Is that like a necessity you feel like now? It seems like you do some video stuff on your site. Yeah, I do. I think it's important to be able to shoot video that can complement your photography. So when the right job comes along, when they need a still photographer and a director, you can do both. And it's not a matter of, you know, running for video cameras and trying to become a, you know, a director or a DP as fast as you can. Not that that's, there's anything wrong with that if that's what you're into, or passionate about, but I think it's a tool that can be used to complement your photography. I mean, at the end of the day, we're creatives and we are in the business of solving problems and creating content. So if that means video content, if it means cinemagraphs, and if it means still pictures, then you know we can do that. But it's definitely an important aspect of photography. Yeah, I can imagine it's all the social media stuff. It's at least a needed skill. You know, it makes you more valuable. You know, the more you can do, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. The more value you can offer to your market, the better. Mm-hmm. Marketing advice for photographers looking to shoot more commercial work. So, you know, maybe it could be somebody that's just new to shooting or somebody that's maybe transitioning from like a different genre, like a wedding photographer that's wanting to cross over to commercial work or something, but just marketing to a commercial audience. Right. And any basic pillars of truth, you don't have to get into the nitty gritty, but (laughs) I know that changes every six months. Well, if you're a wedding photographer, I would stay a wedding photographer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the challenge with, here's what I was going to mention earlier. Another challenge with being a commercial photographer is that you typically don't get booked more than two weeks to a month in advance. Mm. And 
from a financial forecasting, from a scheduling perspective, that is very, very challenging. And, you know, on the flip side, a wedding photographer, if you're a good wedding photographer with a great client base, you can get booked a year in advance. So, you know, there's pros and cons to all aspects of photography, but circling back to your question regarding marketing, it's important to be consistent with marketing. It's important to stand out from the crowd. I think it's important to utilize all the marketing tools out there, direct mail, portfolio books, portfolio shows, agents, if you have them. And then of course, social media, you know, and traditional networking and outreaching and, you know, just staying in touch with friends and colleagues in the business. Yeah. Do you have a, I know some commercials, they have like a schedule. So they'll like mail stuff every three months. Are you that regimented or is it more loosey goosey? I'm not personally that tight on regimented, but I probably do send stuff out that frequently. Okay. Since I have a business degree in my background, I, I feel like I've always enjoyed marketing. And so like, I love doing promos and marketing and I kind of really enjoy that process. So it's something that comes naturally to me that I kind of I'll get antsy every few months and be like, oh, it's time to send something out. Right. So <laughs> the tools out there, you know, between, you know, modern postcard and your local printers and print on demand pieces, it makes it really easy to, to at least do the marketing and get your work out there. You know, getting work that garners attention is another story. Right. That's the key. Kind of going back to that team thing is just importance of surrounding yourself with a team of people versus trying to do everything yourself. Right. Cause I see a lot of photographers that try to do everything themselves and they either burn out right. or get frustrated because they're not getting where they want to go. Yeah. It's definitely important to be able to kind of have, you know, organized systems in place so that you can focus on what you do best, whether that's, you know, photography or retouching or whatnot. But, you know, I have retouchers that I work with closely. I don't even do my own printing in house. I mean, I have a Epson that I use occasionally, but if something can be outsourced, <laughs> I try to outsource it. Yeah. Although I do a lot of my own design work again, cause I kind of enjoy design and branding. So it kind of goes back to what can you do well and what do you enjoy? Mm -hmm. And for the other stuff, like the retouching, you know, I'm still involved in color grading and the overall aesthetics of everything, but I don't enjoy, you know, the masking and the tedium that comes along with some of that. So yeah. It's definitely important to put systems in place that allow you to focus on shooting and focus on doing what you do best. Yeah, this, the old adage of hire your for your weaknesses so you can focus on your strengths, that whole thing. Exactly. So last question, what keeps you motivated just to get out of bed and keep being a photographer? Three kids and a mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta pay the bills. No, there's a ton of things. I mean, in a true sense, of course, having a family keeps me motivated. Yeah. But... On the flip side, what also keeps me motivated is the pursuit of art mm -hmm. and the pursuit of excellence and the pursuit of, you know, really following your dream and doing something you love. And I do love this. And so that passion and that love really gets me out of bed in the morning, really helps me stay motivated. And it's when I'm shooting, when I'm out there making art is when I feel the most motivated. When I'm in the office too long, it's when things get stagnant and I, you know, you just don't feel your best. And so getting out there and creating work, even if it's work that doesn't see the light of day, the process of creation and growth, I believe is what can really help propel you, you know, forward in your career. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Tell everybody real quick where they can find you, socials, website. Tell us about that. You're welcome. So my animal website is randallford.art and my commercial and advertising site is randallford.com. 
And then on Instagram, I'm at Randall Ford and that's Randall with one L. Perfect. I'm the only person on the planet with that has Randall spelled with one L. Hey, but you get all the social media handles because of that. So thank you. Thank you for that. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Exactly. Thanks so much again. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was great talking to you. I enjoyed it very much.